0: Hello, my name is Melissa Hoffman. I'm the Assistant Director of Public Health at the Medical Society, and I'm joined today by Dr. William Valenti, Chair of MESI's Infectious Diseases Committee. We are here to talk about polio. Polio was declared eliminated in the United States in 1979, but on July 21st of this year, an individual in Rockland County was diagnosed with paralytic polio. Because of this, Governor Hochul declared a state disaster emergency. Wastewater testing subsequent to this case has found polio in five counties in New York State. According to the World Health Organization, some of the key facts about polio include that polio mainly affects children under five years of age. One in 200 infections leads to irreversible paralysis. And among those paralyzed... 5-10% to die when their breathing muscles become immobilized. Cases due to wild polio virus have decreased by over 99% since 1988, from an estimated 350,000 cases then to 6 reported cases in 2021. As long as a single child remains infected, children in all countries are at risk of contracting polio. Failure to eradicate polio from these last remaining strongholds could result in a global resurgence of the disease. In most countries, the global effort has expanded capacities to tackle other infectious diseases by building effective surveillance and immunization systems. Now we're going to move on to our questions. Dr. Glenti, I know you've mentioned before that you remember a time prior to the self-vaccine trial in 1955. Can you describe that time?
1: In those days, I was a school kid and I can recall some of my classmates disappearing from school and not coming back. And when I would ask my mother, well, what happened to Carla? She's not in school anymore. And she told me that she had, Carla had polio. I was shocked because in those days, my mother never allowed us to use public swimming pools. And we stayed fairly close to home in the summertime, which was what she called polio season. And when I asked my uh, teacher, when Carla was coming back to school, she said she isn't because she's going to what was in in our area, what they call number five school, which was a special school for kids recovering from polio, who in addition to their regular school days had intensive physical therapy during the day. So, I mean, there were special schools for kids recovering from polio, kids disappeared from school. And when this classmate of mine came back to church, I saw her come in with a large, heavy brace on that she wore for the rest of her life. I mean, they were really hard times. It's really traumatic to recall that. Uh, And I think one of the issues is that many people alive today have no idea of what that was like. If you haven't lived through it and have lived through the post-vaccine era, you don't know what polio was like in those days and what the disease can do. So hearing of this patient in Rockland County is really sobering.
0: Yeah, it's staggering. Just the image that you've just painted is highly concerning. And just adding on to that, what, what does polio look like and how is it diagnosed?
1: Well, in those days, paralytic disease was pretty obvious, especially at a time of epidemic. At one point in 1952, there were 60,000 cases of paralytic polio in the United States. That was the peak year for the polio epidemic that started in the 1930s. It really accelerated in the 20s and 30s and reached a peak in 1950. So recognizing Paralytic disease in an epidemic like that was pretty obvious. Today, it takes a little more doing. Uh, The technology is better. And there are a variety of blood tests and actually virus isolation that can be done to tell if a patient uh, has polio. But those technologies really weren't there. You could tell if somebody, had polio after the disease started and progressed, but making the diagnosis today uses the PCR test in blood and sometimes in sp- it's positive in spinal fluid. And that's the same test that we use, that very specific test that we've used in COVID-19. that te- So that technology is available today so that we can establish the diagnosis in addition to a clinical impression. The hard part about polio is that for every paralytic case, there are 200 to 300 people who are shedding virus and asymptomatic, and that's the problem, is there's so much asymptomatic shedding. What we see when you see one paralytic case is what they call the tip of the iceberg, that there are many more people who are shedding virus.
0: And. Mm actually this kind of lends itself to that and that discussion, is the fact that polio has been found in w- wastewater in New York City and several surrounding counties. How much more testing do you think should be done? And does that indicate that there is a large amount of asymptomatic polio spreading throughout New York?
1: Well, that wastewater surveillance is a very interesting technology that's done in a limited number of places. It's managed by CDC and a number of sentinel places, New York City area, other large cities in the United States, do this wastewater surveillance. Because you have to remember the contagion part of all of this is that poliovirus is transmitted by the fecal oral route. So what happens when you get the poliovirus in you is it lives in the gut and in a small number of cases it can al- it can also attack nervous tissue it's neurotropic and it can destroy neurons that make people paralyzed but getting back to the gut part so that virus what sets up housekeeping in the gi tract and people shed it in feces so if you Get sewage before it goes into the sewage treatment plan for treatment and sample that. and this has been done with covid nineteen other viruses, and most recently with polio. you can tell if there's additional virus being shed in in that region, the region that is serviced by that sewage treatment plant before sewage is treated and that's pretty alarming because you know that there's more virus being shed it's what we just talked about with that polio pyramid where there's one paralytic case but two to three hundred more people who are shedding virus the other interesting thing about the experience in new york so far is it isn't just in rockland county where that wastewater surveillance showed polio virus, but also in several other counties, Sullivan and Orange counties in New York and also New York City area. So there's virus being shed. Now, I don't know if it's the result of the patients in Rockland County or more likely or as likely from other patients who have been exposed and are shedding asymptomatically The concern is that we're going to start to see more paralytic disease here. So the the answer to all of that is, well, what do you do about it? Well, vaccinate people who have not been vaccinated and up our game with polio vaccination.
0: Absolutely. And moving on to a question about the vaccine, does the efficacy of the polio vaccine wane over time? And is there a rubric to determine who should get a booster, or should everyone just get boosted regardless of how long ago they had their original polio vaccine?
1: From what we know so far, someone who's had a complete series of polio vaccinations as a child has lifelong immunity. We're going to learn more about this as we go on, because remember that this is, what, 60 years since the polio vaccine was first introduced, and we watched polio disappear, so we don't have that kind of experience. But the thinking is that one of the reasons we don't see polio in the United States is that the high vaccine penetration and that immunity lasts a long time. There are some recommendations for boosters, though. First of all, kids who, for some reason or other, have had their vaccine series interrupted for example during the covid pandemic adults who have never been vaccinated or and some healthcare workers who are starting to work with polio patients if those numbers increase but right now there's not a recommendation for widespread boosting if you've been vaccinated previously if you are a provider out there and, for example, have somebody who has come from uh, another country where polio vaccine may not have been used as widely as in the United States, and those people are uncertain. If there's uncertainty, I think the recommendation is to revaccinate, but that's only in a select number of cases. I say stay tuned, though, for further recommendations because like most viruses of this type, they're unpredictable, and we really don't know what's going to happen. I think the idea now for now is get kids up to date. Get kids up to date, and if they're unvaccinated, then begin that series.
0: And you mentioned other countries where polio is endemic. What countries are
1: there? It, yes, it's endemic in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So there's actually big global effort. The World Health Organization and the Rotary International have major polio vaccine activity in, in those countries, as well as other places in the world where there are still unvaccinated kids. So that is it's a huge effort The part of the the problem, though, is while in the United States we use the Salk vaccine or inactivated polio vaccine, in many countries in the world they're still using the Sabin version, which is an oral attenuated vaccine. The issue with the Sabin oral vaccine is that because it's a live virus, people who have been vaccinated shed that virus for some time after vaccine. The other tie-in with this Rockland County case is that patient's vaccine type was a Sabin vaccine type with some mutations. So the conclusion from that is the Rockland County patient was exposed to a child who had been previously vaccinated with the Sabin live vaccine, child-shedding virus, and that unvaccinated Rockland County patient got infected, and not only got infected with polio virus, he got paralytic disease, but his type is a vaccine type, so it's an interesting twist in that whole vaccine story, but the other call to action here is the vaccination of unvaccinated people the importance of polio vaccine i mean this just screams the importance of and the efficacy of polio vaccine in this case in the united states we stopped using the sabin oral version a number of years ago So the only vaccine being given in the United States now is the inactivated Salk vaccine. The issue there is, well, why the disparity is the question. And the issue is that the Sabin vaccine is cheaper. So it's suitable for vaccinating large numbers of people. But you can see that it also has some issues associated with it that we just need to be aware of.
0: Thank you, Dr. Valenti. That response is a perfect segue into our next question, which concerns herd immunity. The current vaccination rate for polio in New York State and two-year-old children is at 78.96% and is significantly lower in some counties. Is this rate enough for herd immunity for polio?
1: No, I think we're skating on thin ice. The World Health Organization says that you need an 80% vaccination rate to achieve herd immunity. So we're just there. A 78% vaccine rate means that in some areas of the United States, we have higher numbers of people vaccinated. But it also means that there are other pockets where the vaccine rates are much lower. So we really need to up our game here in terms of vaccinating unvaccinated children, especially, and also adults. I mean, my advice to people is don't gamble with not only your health as an adult, as a parent, but the health of your children. I and mean, that's compelling.
0: Studies have shown, and you mentioned this, that routine childhood vaccines have decreased I think up to 25 or 30% during the COVID pandemic that compounds the concern that children are now more vulnerable to polio and other vaccine preventable diseases and what are your recommendations to encourage patients and parents to catch up on these routine vaccines.
1: Well, you have to recognize that pandemics are disruptive and nobody saw COVID-19 coming the way it did. It was unexpected, and that's the way viruses behave. But now that we are beginning to manage COVID more effectively with vaccine, we need to pick up where we left off, meaning catching up on vaccine, because there are a number of people who have gaps in their childhood vaccinations. So we need to start doing catch-up. And in some cases, it will mean starting over with some childhood vaccinations, including polio. But we need to get back on track because there are fewer excuses or reasons to delay vaccination based on where we are now within the COVID pandemic. And what we don't need is another epidemic while we're still confronting the COVID pandemic. It gets complicated. Decision-making is difficult for parents. We have to meet them where they are in terms of recognizing that there are a number of reasons why vaccines were delayed. But as healthcare providers and physicians, we're making a commitment to patients' health, not only individual health, but community health to get moving again and doing this vaccine catch-up.
0: In regards to the vaccine catch-up too, I know just from being a parent, there are certain timelines for the vaccines. How long do you think the catch-up is going to take for people to be up-to-date, for children specifically, to be up-to-date on the routine childhood vaccines? because they can't all be done at one time, owing to negative side effects that certain vaccines would have if given at the same time as others, and owing to the necessity to spread out shots of the same type over a period of time.
1: The CDC has a whole series of advisories and guidance on vaccine catch-up as a result of the pandemic. And that's included with this podcast. So for people who need specific information regarding sequencing of vaccines to catch up, that guidance spells it all out.
0: Thank you. And is there anything else our listeners should know about polio? And its presence in wastewater? Or the consequences of this july 21st case
1: the uh, the message that i would leave with people is that viruses like this are unpredictable and that in this case one case of paralytic disease isn't just one case that we expect to have more unless we get on about the business of getting the message out to parents and getting kids caught up with polio vaccine because the wastewater surveillance tells the story. It tells us that there is polio virus being shed in multiple counties in New York State and elsewhere. We're seeing the same thing happening in large cities. London is another example. So, this is not an isolated phenomenon. The other thing to remember is that the problems in Afghanistan and Pakistan with polio are also our problem because people travel and may come in contact with unvaccinated people in the United States right on our doorstep. And the last thing is don't take chances with your own health or your children's health. I've seen paralytic disease and It's sobering and changes individual and families' lives and it's preventable.
0: Dr. Valenti, thank you for providing your expertise and knowledge on polio. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find the link to the CDC vaccine catch-up guidelines in the notes on this podcast. Keep an eye out for more updates on polio and other vaccine-preventable diseases, public health situations.